Hey, we, uh, as you know, we are doing a uh, walk through the tour through the book of Revelation. And uh, two Sundays ago, um, while on our Land of Revelation tour, we came upon Revelation chapter 12. And Revelation 12 really is a summary of really the past, present, and future war uh, that is going on between Satan and the Godhead. And and in light of chapter 12, I, I had us park the tour bus there uh, by the seashore, which fits to the last verse of chapter 12, had us park the bus there, and uh, wanted us to spend a couple weeks talking about this whole war thing that's going on before we move further into the book of Revelation. Uh, why the additional time? Good question. Uh, here's how I'd answer that. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 are foundational chapters I'm coming to see for understanding the Godhead through the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12 becomes the foundational chapter in the book for understanding Satan through the rest of the book of Revelation. Let me flesh that out a little bit more here. Um, If you do not ground yourself in the book of Revelation and understanding the Godhead in chapters 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5 are the throne room, Father sitting on the throne, scroll in his hand, the lamb, the lion uh, that is there, and all of the throne room scene. And and if if you do not grab a hold of that and who the Godhead is and and, and really what the it's going on with the Godhead in all of this, then you are going to be coming into questions and left empty uh, through the book of Revelation because questions will come up, questions like this, some I wrote down. Why does the Godhead even allow Satan's carnage? I mean, why does the Godhead even allow all this stuff we're about to read in? Great question. Why is there a judgment? Why is there a whole hell thing uh, going on in the book of Revelation? Because it sure doesn't seem to fit a loving God, redeeming God, and those things fit together with that. Uh, also, it's, it's a, hey, God is love, and war and love do not fit together. Uh, also, here's one, uh, modern day, um, God says that he desires for all to be saved, and if all are not saved, then, then God does not get what he desires. That means God, wait, wait, God, how, how does that, and we get lost in it. We get frustrated in it. And also along with this, it's just kind of like, how can a loving God allow so much pain and disaster that we will be reading in the book of Revelation? Great questions. And friends, those do not make sense if you do not understand Revelation chapters 4 and 5 in the throne room. Likewise, if we do not understand Revelation chapter 12, I believe, the rest of Revelation doesn't make sense regarding Satan himself. Like, why does Satan do what he does? Uh, If he's already lost, why does he keep warring and acting like he's won? Uh, I mean, why doesn't God just stop him and all of his hell-raising in Revelation? It just doesn't make sense. True. If you don't understand Revelation 12 and the war. I am seeing that understanding this war is absolutely foundational for us to be able to continue on through the rest of the book of Revelation. What's going on with this war? So I've parked the bus so that we could better understand uh, the war and the enemy. And last Sunday, uh, I want to bring a picture up here from last Sunday. This is not the war. This is not the enemy. Okay, uh, the devil is not the Tasmanian devil, a cartoon character, this kind of like blah, 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 kind of guy. Um, the, the devil is also not equal with God. We'll be seeing that today. It's not this moralistic fight on our shoulder of, hey, eat the candy, not the vegetables. Okay, that's not the big war thing that's going on. That's so moralistic and it's, 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 it's just, it's so cartoony. That's not what's going on. Instead, as we saw in Revelation chapter 12, how how do you depict it? I don't know. Maybe it's more like these kinds of pictures on who Satan is. Because Revelation chapter 12 talks about the great dragon who deceives the world, who's the liar, who accuses all the time before God. Friends, this is no joke. This is no cartoon. Revelation is not just some allegorical storybook like Aesop's fables. This is serious stuff. And it doesn't make sense if we don't understand the war.
So that's why today's kind of our, our last Sunday on understanding the war here. So with that, I, I want to give you a statement to consider here. Uh, by the way, the word consider. Consider means to pause and to think and to ponder and to work it through. By the way, that's a really important word here a little bit later uh, in our sermon today, in our text today. So I want first to consider a statement here. Let's, uh, let's move the creepy pictures off. Let's get to our statement here. And here's the statement. A small view of sin, Satan, and Scripture leads to, builds out, works out uh, a small view of God, the cross, and the war. Let me say that again. A small view of sin, Satan, and Scripture itself builds out, leads to a small view of God, the cross, and the war as a whole. For instance, a small view of sin, you only need a little bit of grace. A small view of sin, you only need a little bit of forgiveness then. A small view of sin means really it's only a small salvation. And and actually it makes judgment small and our depravity small. And if small sin is the case, then we really need a small savior and a small cross because we have a small sin. If, If Satan is small, the whole war is small. If Satan is small, tell you the truth, heaven becomes small, hell becomes small, progressive sanctification growing in Christ becomes small, and our total need and dependence upon God becomes small. And when scripture is small, frankly, everything is small. When scripture is small, everything becomes small because I become big. Because what ends up happening is, is Genesis, I really don't like that. (laughs) Revelation, that's just all allegorical story anyway. That's just irrelevant. (laughs) You see what I'm doing? I am now shaping my own word of God. I am pushing God aside, taking that seat, and I am now the one determining what God says. No, 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 what I am now determining is that I am God and he is not. And that's what happens when we have a small view of Scripture. This is what I think, as opposed to what does God say? Small view of sin, small view of Satan, small view of Scripture results in a small view of God, the cross, and the war. I just want to lay that out as we move ahead. God, I pray right now that we would see you big. We have the opportunity to turn to your big word of God, to see a big God at work in a big war, that has been conquered by a big cross and a big savior. And we rejoice big over that. So Lord, I pray, would you help us to see you more here? I pray, Lord, that we would walk out this morning with a bigger view of who you are than when we came in. And we, you know we struggle to see you big. So we need your help. Lord, so just please be here. Help us to see you more through your word. In the precious big name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, today, see the war, see the Lord. Here's the plan. Uh, You can uh, go to your uh, update there on the sermon page that's there. You can kind of see here, here's where we're going to go. Majority of our time is going to be spent on seeing this war that we've spent the last two Sundays on here. It's going to include about five minutes on the internal war, and then most of our time on the cosmic war, okay? And then we're going to finish up, because we can't leave it where it ends at there. We've got to end up seeing here in the last little bit of time here of seeing the Lord big, and especially as we go into communion with that. So here's, let's start with the internal war. Um, The internal war, open your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Uh, if you're using the Bible behind the seats there, I believe it's a page 1012. Uh, we are going to see about the internal war. Now the focus is on the cosmic war, the big war, the war between the Satan, between Satan and the Godhead. That's really the big war, but that big war is also comes down into an internal internal war. And, and if I don't at least spend a couple minutes on these Sundays that we've had here, I'm really concerned that we're going to come up with a warped view of the war. And what I mean by that is that we, I don't want for us to come out thinking that there's like this demon behind every bush kind of thing, okay? 
uh, because the fact of the matter is, is, in all reality, as we'll see here, the cosmic big war, we need to understand that, that war wars in our own hearts, okay? Um, in fact, I'll say it this way. I and you do not need Satan in my face or a demon in my face to have a war. I've got enough within my own heart, our own sin-bentedness, uh, moves us towards the war. Take a look at this. And by the way, I'm talking about if you're saved in Christ, because that's what James is talking about here. Look at this. He says, what causes quarrels and fights, uh, and what causes fights among you? Chapter 4, verse 1. That's a great question. I don't know. Maybe you had a quarrel or a fight coming to church this morning, huh? Maybe, uh, don't want to go there too much. But isn't that a great, what causes quarrels and fights? Here it is. God's word is not just a book of questions, a book of answers. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Describe that. Okay. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do you see the war here, what's going on? Why, why, why do I quarrel? Put it this way. Um, I, I, I desire, I, I demand, I uh, judge, I punish. Uh, that's the process. That's the war that goes on within us all the time. In, in this whole thing, it's like, I, I, I desire that we have a calm, peaceful day today. I desire that that task get done in this period of time, in that way, uh, pref preferably the way I would like. <laughs> I would desire that God would do blank. Let's move to the next thing. I demand. Listen, friends, desires are not wrong. Nothing was wrong with them. I desire to, to have someone to love me forever, to have a spouse, to have a mate. I desire to have children. None of those are wrong. But when it moves into a demand, I demand that I have a boyfriend, girlfriend now. I demand children now. I demand that that be done in my time, on my schedule, in my manner. I demand that. Do you see where it is now moved? By the way, God, I demand that you take care of this problem. It is now moved into a wrong place. And then what begins happening is then I judge. Well, you're not a very godly wife because a Christian wife would be doing that the way I want it done. Well, you're not a very godly husband just the way you're talking to me right now. Well, God, you obviously have no idea what's going on in my life, do you? You really don't care, do you, God? I judge. And then I punish. I'm going to pull the silent treatment. That'll get you. I'm going to lash out at you. Uh, do you see the war? Hey, help me out. Do you see the war? This is the war. Okay, know this. But this war that is battled within our heart, really our heart, our thinking, comes out of ultimately the war is not just about me. There is a big cosmic war and that's where we are at here. In fact, Paul Tripp says about the internal war. He says this, you and I live in a war zone and we need to be very clear on this. The great spiritual war is fought on the turf of your heart and it's fought for control of your heart. Your life is lived every day in the middle of that war. It's a war of doubt and faith, submission and rebellion, anxiety and trust, wisdom and foolishness. It's a war of despair and hope, allegiance and disloyalty. It's a war of will the Lord do what he pr has promised? Will the Lord provide? Can I step out in faith and courage knowing that the Lord is with me and will provide what I need when I need it? Or do uh, uh, the war is, do I have to worry that I won't have enough? Or, or should I be afraid? Or is God trustworthy? That's the war. When you hit hard times, when your weakness is exposed, be ready for the enemy to come after you with, where is your God now? The war is fought within us every day. But understand, to understand that war, we need to understand the big war. Otherwise, we become the center of the universe. So we're understanding the big cosmic war, so let's go there. Uh, open your Bibles to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Oh, you have no idea how excited I am and how I love this text. No idea. So here we go. I want for you to know the events that we're about to read um, 
in Job is the war on steroids. This is not the typical war. Thank the Lord. Okay? But it sure gives us insight into the reality of the war. Whether it's a decision I have to make or whether it's to the extent of Job's life. And I think God gives us texts like this that are, I think this is like the most vivid account in Scripture of the whole cosmic war going on. I mean, this is like 3D, HD, full surround sound Dolby stereo here about what the cosmic war is like. Now, as a church in the past, we've been through some of Job before, but we're really going through it now to kind of ultimately learn in this, the cosmic war portion, and especially taking some look at Satan. So, so let's work our way through Let's start in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Job. Verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now we begin here by learning about a man. This is a man, it's a Job, and we learn that he's a typical man because he's a man, but he's, not un, but he's also untypical in that this is one godly dude, right? I mean, this is one guy that is full out radical after the Lord, we see that there. We see some of the descriptors of him being set apart unto the Lord. He's blameless, he's upright, he's fearing God, he's turning away from evil. Don't you read that? And it's like, oh Lord, more of that in me. More of that in me. By the way, I need to make sure here that we all understand, at least where I'm coming from, from a high view of Scripture, that this is not a fictitious man living in a fictitious fairyland in the, in the land of Oz. Okay? This is a real man that lived in a real time. This is not Aesop's fables. This is not just some made-up story, but, but this is real, and that's just so critical in grabbing a hold of this whole thing. It's a real person living radically for the Lord. Now, more on this guy, verse 2 and 3. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. How many kids? Ten. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and uh, very many servants, employees, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He was a set-apart man, and he was a set-apart businessman. I think this is really important to see in here. By the way, take a look at his business. I come out of a business background, and, and so I pick up on some of these things. This guy's totally impressive. Now, I'm not a farmer. Some of you may be, but I do know numbers, and I just know this. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 female donkeys. That's a lot. Can we agree? Like 11,000 big animals. We're not even talking about the smaller animals that are a part of all this, and very many employees. Listen, this dude is one successful businessman. In fact, we could really say this is a godly tycoon. How often do you see that nowadays? He's a tycoon, but he's also a godly man. He's a man and he's a businessman. Verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This is a set-apart man, a set-apart businessman, and a set-apart father. Uh, Men, may we be more like this guy. Okay, that's the reality of it. May we pursue being more like this guy. Now, uh, some things to understand in this whole feast thing. What's, what was going on is at each child's birthday is what this is talking about. They would have a feast and they would bring all of the family together. And in fact, the bros would want to have the sisters come along. By the way, I think webbed in this is this idea. This was a tight family. This is a family that actually enjoyed and loved one another. It, this is not the Kardashian. Oh, okay, I don't even go there. <laughs> Okay, this is not a television TV show tragedy mess, all right? This is a loving family. Also, in this, we see them get together. By the way, this is not some drunken frat party thing that's going on. That's not what the text is pointing to. This was a family celebration. 
And when they'd all come together for the family celebration, we, get, we clearly understand that afterwards, Job, and this, this is so cool, you have to understand, this is prior the cross. Job in all of this is acting as the father priest for his kids. This is a spiritual man. This is one Old Testament style, acting as father priest, officiating on behalf of his family, consecrating them, dedicating them, declaring them ritually acceptable to God. How cool is that? Continually. Job valued his kids, but he valued not just his kids, he not only just valued their experience in business, listen, he valued their spiritual condition. And he was full after between him and the Lord and his children. What a guy. More of that in us. That's the earth scene. It's all set up. Now we step out of the earth scene and we go into an in heaven scene here. In verses 6 through 12, this is the meat. This is the heart of where we're going at today. By the way, in this, uh, we're going into the throne room. Think Revelation 4 and 5. When we were there, okay, picture all of that that's going on. Here we go. Seven things to notice about Satan in this cosmic war that we're in. Building off of last Sunday, I'm going to read verses 6 through 12, and then we'll come back and work our way through verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And look at this. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? By the way, the Lord knew, okay? The Lord knew, but understand, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but know this. The other angels and those around are not omniscient. They don't know. And also, by the way, the reader doesn't know. So the, so the Lord is asking this question, not for his benefit, but to get all the information on the table. Now, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth. And from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, hey, have you considered, there's a word, given serious, attentive thought to my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he heads to earth. Seven things. Number one, verse six, notice Satan's position. The angels, they come along with Satan. How, how just crazy, weird, cool, freaky is that? Come and they do what? The text tells us they present themselves before. This is really important to understand what's going on here. Last Sunday... We went through Genesis 1, 3, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jude, uh, Peter, we, Revelation 12. We saw out of there last Sunday, Satan was created as a mighty angel. Great wisdom, beauty, responsibility, and opportunity to serve the Lord's, for the Lord's fame. He was one of the highest, if not the highest, angel created by God as a guardian cherub to protect the Lord's holiness and grandness and glory. And yet he didn't, he, some point in time, between Genesis, end of Genesis 1 and beginning of Genesis 3, at some point in time, as I understand it, he, he makes this decision, basically, I don't want you, I want it to be about me. And he sins, he profanes God, God casts him out of heaven, we talked about that last Sunday, with now his goal is to defame God, okay? And look at Satan's position here. Hear me on this, this is really important. His position is not equal to the Godhead. Way too often we give Satan way too much credit and he loves it. 
He is not God. He is not equal to the Godhead. He was a created being. And here, Satan is presenting himself before the Lord. He's at the Lord's feet. Oh, how he must hate that, being there right there. And so essentially, if you will, if God says, Satan, show yourself, Satan's not like, no, I don't have to show myself. He's like, and he shows himself. By the way, it was about 20 some years ago. I was at a conference, Karen and I were in southern Indiana before in my ministry days, and I just remember a statement. Erwin Luther was uh, leading a session, and he made this statement. I can still see the whole thing. And he made this statement. He said, Satan is God's Satan. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know if that was heresy or if what. And I kid you not, for years I was wrestling that. I get it now. The Lord is the Lord. And the Lord lords over Satan. Let's, you'll see what I mean here. Uh, first we see, uh, notice Satan's position. Next, notice Satan's non-authority to the, before the Lord. Uh, verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord. Well, Satan could have gone, no, I'm not telling you nothing. You can't ask me questions and I don't have to answer your questions. No, the fact of the matter is, God's in charge. And when God asks Satan a question, Satan answers it. By the way, go back through the Gospels, take a look every time Jesus has an interaction with demon or demons, they do and they respond to exactly what he says. We know who's in charge. And they're not. Listen, Satan is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. But he loves to act like he is. And sometimes we give him too much authority. The fact is he is a disobedient fallen angel punk that's given a time to rule, which is the perfect segue for me and my favorite movie, Gladiator. (laughs) Do you remember? (laughs) Maximus Decimus Meridius has his first battle in the Colosseum, and he wins. And Commodus, the evil emperor dog, is bewildered by the whole thing, and he comes down and Maximus Decimus Meridius removes his mask and it's this moment when the evil emperor is like, oh, oh. And Maximus Decimus Meridius says, the time for honoring yourself will soon come to an end. I'm telling you, Gladiator is like biblical. (laughs) It's my favorite movie if you don't know how to use it every so often in here. (laughs) Listen, the reigning emperor punk is only for a time. But it's an allowed time in it. Notice Satan's position, his non-authority. Keep moving. Notice number three, Satan's locations. Verse seven. Satan answered the Lord and said, I've been going to and fro on the earth. Remember last Sunday? Cast to the earth. Walking up and down on it. Boy, is that creepy. By the way, a couple things about that statement right there. It makes sure that we understand Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be all places all the time. He is not all-knowing and he is not everywhere all the time. Neither of those are him, but both of those are God. Because he's literally walking to and fro, if you will, you know, moving to and fro among you. He cannot see the whole earth as one omniscient God can. And so uh, he's giving a proper response to this in it. He's a one place and one time being. By the way, can I just say, and I need to be careful on this because it's a bit pet peeve of mine. I don't want to make that biblical by any means. But can I just say on this, be careful if you are one that has a tendency to say, you know, Satan's really been after me this week. I think it's bad theology for a couple reasons. One, it kind of, and I understand the term, maybe evil's been after me, but, but I, it, it's, not, it's not very crisp theology. It's, and honestly, it's giving Satan too much credit. Honestly, it's also giving you too much credit. Oh, seriously, if Satan can be one place one time, I don't know why he's here. 
We've got enough in an internal war. In internal war. I'm just asking you to think about it. Just be careful. Don't give him too much credit. Uh, two locations. He roams the earth and he reports before the throne. And we saw last Sunday, he, he roams the earth devouring and deceiving. And here we see he goes before the throne. And we saw it in Revelation 12 where it said, he goes before the throne accusing. And that's what he does here too. Number four, notice Satan's sin, I'm calling this, essentially as brought up by God. Verse 8, let me read that. It says, uh, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. By the way, considered. Why does God have to say that? Because Satan just said, I've been walking around. But no, no, but when you're walking around, did you stop, pull a chair out, and watch this guy? Because he's not omniscient, he doesn't know everything about the guy all the time. Have you watched him? And the details matter in the text. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless, upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. What is the Lord doing here? The more time I spend with this, I think what's going on is the Lord is confronting Satan with his exact sin issues. Why do I say that? Look at the text. Have you considered my servant Job? What's the job of an angel? A servant. Satan was created to be a servant of the Lord, and now here's this human that is living like he should be. Also in it, the Lord says in it, have you considered my servant Job? Um, he's blameless. Uh, uh, Satan, you're, you are filled with blame. Uh, he's upright. Uh, Satan, you're not. He fears God, uh, Satan, you don't, and he turns away from evil. You run to it. This is the perfect guy for Satan to be taking a look, and God is thinking about Satan, have you seen what it looks like? There is a person, there is someone actually lower than you who can do exactly what I made you to be. Have you paid attention to him? Friends, you will not understand the book of Job if you do not understand what the Lord is doing. Is Job, is the Lord is, is grabbing a hold of his man and he is putting Job out as a living testimony to Satan himself. And Job doesn't know about this. Job knows nothing about this. Notice Satan's sin. Five, notice Satan's complaint. Uh, verses nine through 10. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? This is the accuser. Have you not put a hedge around him and on his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have, possessions have increased in the land. Hey, God, you're paying him to worship you. I mean, who wouldn't in that situation? Here's what's so cool about this. This Satan is such a fool that he doesn't understand that's exactly what God did for him. God put Satan in a highest of honor place for God's glory, created him beautiful, a signet of perfection, blameless, righteous, upright, as we saw in the text last week, and now here Satan is before the Lord saying, hey, it's not very fair, you created him with all of the good stuff. And God's got to be looking at Satan like, are you kidding me? Look in a mirror. Well, not now. God did the exact same thing for Satan. Just the irony of it. You made him a billionaire. <laughs> Satan, you're a fool. But hear me on this. Evil does not make sense. Evil does not make sense. By the way, uh, all, all the stuff that's been happening in our world lately and the shootings and everything, all the questions are why, why, why? Friends, evil does not make sense. It is just evil. Notice Satan's complaint. I gotta keep moving. Number six, notice Satan's game, verse 11. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. He thinks he knows everything. He thinks he's omniscient, but he's so arrogant. He thinks he knows exactly what'll take place. Why would he do that? Because uh, uh, he, he's, he's an accuser. So he games with the Lord. 
games with the Lord. By the way, do you think that the Lord's intimidated or scared here? I don't think so. In fact, God in his grace, for his glory, and also as a testimony to Satan, God now allows the game to go. Number seven, notice Satan's parameters. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan cannot operate outside of God's given parameters. Satan is God, Satan. By the way, friends, everything else, and we're going to buzz through a whole lot here. Everything else that we see that is unleashed on Satan and his kids and his business and his wife and his family and on Job himself, everything that is about to be unleashed, this means theologically correctly by the text, God's allowed it. Here we go. Verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and there came a messenger to Job and said, Job, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the the Sabian, Sabians, however you say it, fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. Satan goes after it. Verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another who said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels, and and they took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. By the way, the room is getting full of bad news giving people. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came another who said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and Job, your kids, and they are all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Um, we've talked so far in our time these last two Sundays. Um, know this, Satan hates you. He could care less about people. His war is with God, with the Godhead. And whatever he can do, remember last Sunday, created in the image of God? Whatever he can do to defame, to tick off, to de-glorify the Godhead, he will do. And if that means him going and taking out, uh, uh, let's say, innocent people, animals, things, and territory, he doesn't care. Well, take it out like that. That's Satan. Be afraid. This is no game, you guys. This is no game. Right away, he's out destruction because that's who he is. That's what he does. Then what is Job going to do? Verse 20, then Job arose when he finds this out in his office or his home or whatever, tears his robe and shaved his head. By the way, that is Old Testament talk for. He goes into massive mourning, okay? And here, follow it through shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. Now we're like, get out the guitars. <laughs> That's not what's going on. This is like his life has just been utterly destroyed. And look at theology of a godly man coming out. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. Look at this. The Lord gave. Look at this. The Lord has taken away. Who's taken away?
Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin or charge God. Oh, please do understand. He's just not like, oh, naked I came, naked I went, you know, kids, whatever, business, whatever, I don't care. No, no, this is an absolute agony. And yet theology trumps the whole thing in it. Naked I came, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away in the agony of it all. But the story doesn't stop here. Let's just keep going again. Chapter two, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Sound familiar? And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Maybe there's just a typo and they repeated repeated the chapter here. Hang on. Have you considered my son Job after all this, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless upright man who fears God, turns away from evil? Look at this. He still holds fast. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, what does Satan do? He accuses skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand, touch his bone of his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. This is all a cosmic war. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Again, the parameters. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him after all this, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. By the way, I am so not going to get hard on Mrs. Job because she just lost 10 children and their family empire and all of their employees and all of their animals and everything they have. And now she's watching her husband with his peeling his own skin off of his body. I got to tell you, I think I would have been saying what she said a while back. And Job in this, he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. You see him, he's sitting in the ashes, scraping his skin off, replying. And here's the kicker. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Wow. Well, his buddies come, spend seven days with him, not saying a word. There's a lot of lesson in that on maybe how to love on people that are really hurting. Sometimes it's better, just don't say anything. Chapter 3, verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. You know, I'm actually really grateful for that statement. Because prior to this, Job just kind of seems like some superhero spiritual dude. Now he's real. No, he's always been real. But he, now he's gotten to the point where he's like, I, I can't, I can't, I, no more. I can't take it anymore. I just want to curse God and die. Look at the end of chapter 3, says, verse 24. For my sighing comes inside of my bread. My groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest. But trouble comes. We could just leave it right here, but I think I'd want to go home and die. And I don't want for you to. Here's the thing in the last couple minutes. We need to see the Lord. I want to take you to the end of the story. Turn to Job 38. Job 38. From chapters 4 through chapter 36, basically we are told about um, bad counsel that his friends give him. (laughs) Kind of like, obviously you've sinned, because bad things don't happen to good people. That's just horrible theology. 
God doesn't allow bad things. That's bad theology too. And he gets a lot of this kind of bad thinking and words of supposed encouragement. And then we get to the point in chapter 37, Elihu begins speaking up. He's been listening in on much of this. And in chapter 37, way to go, Elihu, he kind of brings the Lord back into it and lovingly kind of rebukes everybody. Guys, this is not right. And out of that, then, we come to chapter 38. Elihu spoke, and now it's time for the Lord to have some one-on-one time with Job. Listen to this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. I like that. Not only the whirlwind of all the chaos going on in Job's life, but kind of the whirlwind of talk. It's just like all this counsel and talk, and it's just like, blah, it's just a giant tornado just ruining everything up. And so God needs to speak. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind of the situation and the talk of the time and, and said this, who is this to Job that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, Job. I will question you and you make it known to me. Wow, does God not seem like a hard guy? I mean, this guy has gone through a living hell allowed by God for all this time. And so much of this has turned into this internal war. That's what we're seeing right now in Job. And God stands up and he comes into the table of it all and he's like, Job, seriously, let's talk. I think one of the versions says, gird your loins like a man. Here we go. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to highlight the beginning of a whole bunch of statements. Job, where were you? Job, who determined? Or who? Or who? Or who? Job, have you? Job, have you? And have you? Where is? And Job, have you? And have you? And, and what is? And who has? And, and has the rain? Uh, and who? And who? And who? Flip the page. And can you, and can you, and can you, do you, do you, do you, can you, who you, can you, who, and we're not out of chapter 38. And here we go, chapter 39. Do you, do you, can you, do you? Can you, will you, do you? Is it by your, is it by your? (laughs) I'm like, God, chill out on your bro, man. But you gotta watch, what's Job gonna do in this? And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty now? Job, let's have it out, my friend. After that, you want to have some more talk right now? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And then the Lord hugs him. No. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and sent a dress, gird your loins up like a man. I'm not done. (whistles) Will you, will you, have you, have you, behold, behold, can you, can you, can one? Behold, who has, who can, who can? Listen, there's a whole layout on what God's doing through creation and everything going on here. But here's the kicker. Chapter 42, how does Job now respond in all of this? Then Job answered the Lord out of all of this and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. Look at this, verse five. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Something happened. What happened? This godly man that we read of in chapter one and chapter two, this this totally godly man above godly man, I mean, this dude was like the dude man. 
And yet here he's now, he's like, no, 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 I, I just apparently, even in his godliness in chapters one and two, even that he now looks back after through all this hell that he's gone through in all this, looks at this and he's like, oh my word, Lord, you just reminded me of who you are. And I forgot. And the reality is, is that I'd only been seeing you small. But now I got a whole new picture. What's the answer to the war? See the Lord. High and lifted up. What's the answer to the Lord? See him bigger. I don't know why some things are happening. I'm looking around this church body. And I know of some of the pain. <clears throat> and some of the heavy things that are going on here. I can't answer why. Oh, but this, this should just be of grand help to you. Listen, see the Lord. See the Lord. Go read chapters 38 through 42. Read them and see the Lord anew. Doug, I want to see the Lord. Here's what's interesting. So often seeing the Lord for real comes out of really hard times. So when we pray, Lord, I want to see you bigger. Buckle up. Because isn't it true, after you've been through hard things, they get rid of you being in control and you having all the answers and you get to the end of yourself broken and you go, God, help me. Isn't that true? See the Lord. See, see, please, see the Lord. That doesn't mean he's going to pull you right out of the situation. Yeah, but he doubled and tripled what Job got. No, that's Job's story. See the Lord. 